Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hume Christian Church. Our hope is that it encourages, inspires, and challenges you. And now, here's this week's teaching. This morning's sermon was kind of born out of a, uh, out of a question. Uh, I've thought about it from time to time. Uh, and I, I think it's a good question to ask. And it's a, it's a question that, that I'm going to ask and then I'm not going to give an answer to. Um, I'm not actually going to answer it at all in, in my sermon. I'm going I'm to leave that up to you to, to answer how, how you might answer that. I, I don't want to just assume an answer to it, and I don't want to just ask it in a flippant way. It's a, it's a question that I think we actually ought to wrestle with, uh, a, a question that has all sorts of implications, the answer that we give. Here's the question. Here's the question. The question is this. If our church family didn't exist, would our community even notice? And I don't mean like there wasn't a building right on this main street through, through town, right? Because we know the church is not a building. I don't mean would they, would they drive by and they'd say, oh, that's a, that's a really empty building. I wonder, wonder if anybody ever does anything there, right? That's, that's not what... What I mean, I I don't mean that would people notice that there was one less church service in Hume to attend. I I mean, if our church family did not exist, would, would it even make a difference in the lives of people in our community? Another way to ask it would be this. Do we have the kind of impact in our community where if we were not here, there would be a void? Now, again, I, I told you, I'm not, I'm not going to answer this question. And I don't ask this question to, like, lead us somewhere, to give us some rebuke, like we're doing something wrong. I think it's a genuine question that every church family, every local congregation should ask. If we were not here, would our community even notice? So I'm not going to give you an answer but it's kind of what I want to talk about today. Having faith that makes a difference. Because I think deep down, each and every one of us wants to make a difference. Now, we might might define that a little bit differently. We we might define it a little differently, person to person. You know, doing this would make a difference or doing this would make a difference. And sometimes, let's be honest, our motivations for wanting to make a difference, sometimes they get a little bit skewed. They're a little self-serving. They're, they're a little off. But, but one thing I, I know is as I have um, had the opportunity over the years to, to, to sit with people and hear their stories, uh, to counsel people, to do all these things, deep down, most people really want their lives to matter. They want to make a difference. Where does this come from? Well, I, I would contend that it comes from our original design. I mean, consider Genesis 1, 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them man. Male and female, he created them. Look, our desire to live lives of purpose 
comes from the fact that we are created in the image of God, a God that gives purpose to all things. And so if we are created in his image, a God that gives purpose, then we want our lives to have purpose and meaning also. And for those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus, it's not just that we are created in his image, but it's actually that Jesus has given us a mission. Consider these words out of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And not only do we believe that Jesus has given us a mission, so we have been created in the image of God. And so we, we, want, we are people who want to live life with purpose because God gives purpose to life. Not only have we been given a mission by Jesus, but we have actually been equipped to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave to us. I mean, consider 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. If you follow Jesus, you have been given everything you need to live a godly life and actually do the things that he wants you to do. The Holy Spirit lives inside you, guides you, and directs you. And that ought to be encouraging <clears throat> to you. In, in, in a world that seems so chaotic sometimes, you have actually been equipped to do these things. You are a person who can actually make a difference. That's the good news. Can I give you the bad news? We can affirm this, right? Intellectually. But let's be honest, sometimes it's really, really hard to actually live it out. That's another story. Paul's words in Romans, I think, sum this up perfectly. Romans 7 says this, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And he, he points out there's this, there's this conflict, there's this struggle that goes on inside of us. What leads to this disconnect, this, this wanting to do something, but not actually doing it, doing the thing that I hate? What leads to this disconnect? The obvious answer is sin. But can I propose another one to you? What would make Jesus, what, what would make following Jesus way easier if everyone else around me followed Jesus? I mean, that's how we feel sometimes, isn't it? If everyone else around me would just do what they were supposed to do, then it would make this so much easier. And you know, there's, there's a little bit of truth to that because scripture tells us to encourage one another. Right? Encourage one another daily. Encourage one another to good works. Encourage one another to faithful and holy living. So there's some truth to that. But that if everyone else just was a Christian, then it'd be great. The fact of the matter is, they're not. At the end of the day, you're responsible for how you react to situations. You, you can't control it any more than I can control it what somebody else 
does. But what you can do is you can control how you respond. You, you can choose to respond not in the way that the world would respond, but you can choose to respond in the way that Jesus would have you respond. How in the world can you do that? If you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. When the world chooses anger, you can choose joy. When the world chooses to fight, you can choose peace. When the world chooses all of these things, you can look at the world and you can say no. No, that is not how a follower of Jesus acts. And so the goal today is simple. It's, it's, it's really pretty basic. My goal today is to encourage you. My, my goal today is to, to remind you of this. If you follow Jesus, you have been given the ability to actually do what he wants you to do and actually make a difference. So often in, in, in church circles, we, we get down on ourselves. Like, oh, I can't ever do it. I'm just not good enough. Friends, if you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. The exact same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The exact same Holy Spirit that enabled the early church to do all of these amazing things. The exact same Holy Spirit lives in you. You have been equipped, my friends. And so my goal today is this, to, to encourage you, go be the people that Jesus is allowing you to be, is making you into. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, here is my hope for you today. That you would catch a vision, you, you would catch a glimpse of the difference that Jesus can actually make in the lives of people. Look, I will be the first to admit that sometimes our actions do not align with our thoughts. And sometimes the unbelieving world can look at something that I do and can go, ah, you hypocrite. And I will go back to them, you're probably right. But you know what else I can say? Not the man I used to be. Certainly not who I am becoming. But because of Jesus, I'm certainly not who I used to be. So to that end, let me, let me give you some encouragement this morning. Let me, let me give you some challenge. And let me give you some ways that you can live a faith that actually makes a difference. Here's, here's the first one. We make a difference by living countercultural lives. Now, now here's... Here's the funny thing about that word. Because when, I, when, when you saw that word on the screen, when you heard me say countercultural, immediately every one of you had an image that popped into your mind. Here's what I want to say. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live counterculturally. Sometimes it seems like the unbelieving world Sometimes it seems within the unbelieving world, I should say. We're known, we the church, are known more for what we're against than what we're for. And now let me be very clear. If you follow Jesus, 
there will be those who do not like you. There will be those who hate you, in fact, simply because you claim the name Jesus. But we have to be careful that the reason that people hate us is actually because of Jesus and not because we've given them a reason to hate us. Do you see the difference here? I I heard a pastor once say it this way. May people hate you because of Jesus, not because you're a jerk. I think 1 Peter has a lot to say about what it means to live a countercultural life. Peter, Peter wrote this book to people in exile, right? People who, um, to be honest, it seems like more and more were starting to reflect in the letters of Peter, right? It, it, it seems like we're starting to, to understand a little bit more what it means to live as a group of people that does not have a majority status in a culture. And so these are people who Peter is writing to, and he writes these words. There were people who looked around and they saw a culture that was very different from the one that Christ called them to. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage them, to challenge them, and to equip them to live countercultural lives. And if you've got a Bible, you can flip to First uh, Peter. It's in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But Peter's encouraging them to live countercultural lives. And here, here's what Peter says. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing good wrong. There's, there's three elements here that I, that I think are vital if, if we're going to talk about what does it mean to live counterculturally. Here, here's the three. Go to the next slide. The first one is this. We have to believe well. Believing well is important to living countercultural lives. What does it say? You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. There must be something about you that is a firm foundation. See, as followers of Jesus, we don't simply grab this idea or this idea that that comes along, but we are grounded and rooted in Jesus Christ. What he has done for us, who he is, and the fact that he is seeking to restore, redeem, save, renew all creation back to God. We have to believe well. There are certain issues on which we simply stand and we do not move. We believe well. The second one is this. We have to love well. We have to believe well, but we have to love 
well if we're going to be countercultural. Here's what it says. He, he, he says all this to do all this. He says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Friends, it's possible. It's possible to have the right doctrine and express it in the wrong way. It's possible to theologically be correct and still sin in the way that you live that out. See, what we believe, but how we love both matter. And here's the third one. We live well. Suffer for doing what is right. Keep your conscience clear. See what a good life you live. Suffer for doing good. In this culture, these people that Peter is writing to, they were, they were well aware and very familiar with suffering. And Peter writes them and encourages them with this. Keep suffering. Fight the good fight. It's okay. Hang in there. Because do you know what happens when you do that and you do it well? People sit up and take note. Go to that next slide, Marcia. I don't know if this helps you or not, but you think about it like, a, like, a, like an addition problem or, or like a Venn diagram, right? Remove any one of these three out of this equation or out of this Venn diagram, and you do not have countercultural living. See, here's what it means to live countercultural. Sometimes countercultural is just defined by, like, you believe different things. No. Countercultural is defined by what you believe, how you love, and how you live. And if we take any one of those three out, we have a, a recipe for disaster. See, when we live in a way where we do all three of these, I think in, in some spheres of influence, some people are going to sit up and take notice. And, and here's the crazy thing. It's actually possible to live in such a way where you can both honor God and find favor among people. That doesn't mean you go out and your goal is to seek favor, to please people. No, in fact, that would be very wrong. But it's possible to live in such a countercultural way that you actually gain favor among people. And lest you think that I'm making this up, that I'm pulling this off the top of my head, go read the book of Acts. I mean, Acts chapter 2. What does it say? That their numbers kept increasing. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper. They, they were devoted to breaking bread. They were, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to all of these things. Their numbers kept increasing, and they were finding favor among the people. They were living countercultural lives, and people were sitting up and taking notice and going, how can they act like that? Where, where did they get the power to do that. The world is acting in this way, and it, it, they're doing that. And that's the point at which they could step in and say, can I, can I tell you about Jesus? I love what Cliff was saying earlier, right? Because here's the deal. He, he has people that come in and talk to him all the time and are asking these 
questions. And he has the ability, sorry to call you out, on, single you out on this, perfect example. He has the ability to speak truth into the lives of those who ask these questions. He has been given this ability. How? Not by his own strength, by the Holy Spirit's strength. And it's not just Cliff. It's every single one of you. Whether you sit behind a computer all day long, you change diapers all day long, you, you ride a tractor all day long, whatever you do, you have been gifted. You have been enabled by Jesus to live a countercultural life where people stand up, take notice, and say, why do you live in that way? No one else does. And that is your opportunity, my friends, to say this. Can I tell you about Jesus? Here's another way. We make a difference by living mundane, ordinary, faithful lives. Now, that may seem in direct conflict to what I just said, right? Like I gave you this big spiel about live these countercultural lives, be countercultural. And then now I'm basically saying, yeah, live boring, faithful lives. Which one do you want us to do? Well, they're not mutually exclusive. I love how Eugene Peterson, uh, a pastor and, and theologian, defined obedience. He, he since has gone on to be with the Lord. But he, he defined obedience as this, a series of small steps in the same direction. That's what obedience is, a series of small steps in the same direction. My point is this, you don't have to change your circumstances. You don't have to change your location. You don't have to change where you live or what you do to actually make a difference. See, sometimes we, we look and say, well, well, pastors or missionaries or whoever, they're the people that really make the difference for the kingdom of God. No, they're not. You can do this right now, whoever you are, wherever you are. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says this, To a man who lives unto God, nothing is secular. Everything is sacred. He puts on his workday garment, and it is a vestment to him. He goes forth to his labor and exercises the office of priesthood. If you follow Jesus, you are part of a priesthood. You are a priest. 1 Peter 2, 9 says this, but you, speaking, speaking to believers, speaking to Christians, you are a chosen Race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you claim the name of Christ, you get to be a part of his mission. And just a few verses before, Peter said this. He said, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are priests. We offer spiritual sacrifices. And what are our spiritual sacrifices that we offer? Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Your life, all of it, is what you offer to God. Can I just tell you, the people, the people who I know that have had the most impact on my life have had the most impact, it seems, anyway, for the kingdom, as, as far as I can tell. We won't, we won't know the true impact that e- any one of us has uh, until, uh, you know, this side of heaven. But, but as far as I can tell, some of the people that have had the greatest impact for the kingdom of God never stood on a stage, never used a microphone to speak to a whole bunch of people, never had some sort of an official title. They, they, they never really even thought of themselves as particularly skilled in this area or that area. They, they, simply, they simply thought of themselves as a servant of Jesus Christ, as someone who would be faithful to him. And here's why it's important, because someone is always watching. Those of you who have children, you know this is the case. As Autumn and I have become very aware of certain phrases that we use, because we will hear Olive say those a lot, right? And, and uh, sometimes they're funny, and then sometimes they're like, don't say that in public, please. <laughs> Children are sponges. They, she has obviously seen someone do that. But it's not just children that are like that. I mean, the people you work with, your family members, people you um, are in the checkout line with, like they see how you live. They see how you live, and, and unfortunately, sometimes your life communicates to them what it means to follow Jesus, and that can be a very bad thing or a very good thing. First Thessalonians 4 says this, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Sometimes I hear people say things like, I I don't care what people think about me. Well, you should at least some of the time. Paul seems to think so. According to Paul, in some ways you should. See, here's how living a mundane, ordinary, faithful life, day in, day out, doing the exact same things and worshiping and praising and serving Jesus in the process matters. It shows others that Jesus actually makes an impact outside of Sundays. Here's one more way we make a difference. We make a difference by developing a childlike faith. There's an interesting story in three of the four Gospels. I'm going to read it out of Mark's Gospel. But it's an interaction that Jesus has with some children and his disciples. And I just want to leave you with this story today. Because I think it... I think if we don't live like this, we're not going to be people who make a difference. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. 
When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. He took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. What does it mean to have a childlike faith? If you have a child, think of your own child. What, what do children do? When a child is born, they can't really do much on their own, can they? They are completely and totally reliant on their parent so that they might eat, so that they might get, get what they need, so that they might get the care that they need. They are totally reliant on their parent. And then, and then think about when your children get a little bit older and, and you see them grow and, and you see them mature. One of the things I love, I absolutely love about my seven-year-old Nora is that she has a heart that is just huge. I mean, I mean, even here, here's a ridiculous example. We asked her to give the dog dog food the other day, right? And I mean, she did go and scoop and she scooped the bowl and it was like heaping up like that. So we're working on that part, right? Like don't give the dog quite that much food. But, but here's, here's what I loved, and I wish I had put this picture up. She, she, if if the, the water bowl's here and the dog's bowl's here, she put this little, like, drawing pad here. And she wrote on it, I love you. He's a dog. You know? Most of the time when I come home, I'm like, Atticus, get out of my way. She's leaving him notes that say, I, I love you. Right? Like, that's just the kind of kid that, that she is. Like, she genuinely loves. And, and that's what children do. Like, they just have this innocence about them. Right? And the other thing is, but a lot of times I don't have to convince her to, like, do something. Right? Like, it, it, it's, it's funny to me. I, I end up, you know, I'm up at the food pantry occasionally here. And uh, every once in a while, I'll need to go up there. And I'll just go, hey, Nora, you want to you wanna go with me up to the food pantry? Yep, let's go. She is, she is out that door with me. She's, just, she's willing to follow. She's like, yeah, I want to go be with my dad. We make a difference by having a childlike faith. Be like a child in your obedience and your love, your devotion and your reliance. And so, so if you are a follower of Jesus. My hope is this, that you are encouraged this morning to know this simple fact. You can actually make a difference. God built it into His plan that His people would make a difference for His glory. And if you do not follow Jesus, I want to remind you and invite you to this. Though his people may not always show it perfectly, Jesus actually makes a difference in lives. We could go around the room 
And we could have, hear story after story after story of people who have followed Jesus and their lives have looked totally different from what they thought it would. And they look back and they say, if it weren't for Jesus, I never would have been able to do any of that. If it weren't for Jesus, my marriage would not have survived. If it weren't for Jesus, I, I, I couldn't have been the, the kind of person that I am. If it weren't for Jesus, I couldn't do any of it. Jesus actually makes a difference. And he's inviting each and every one of us to surrender to him and be people who make a difference this world. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. To learn more about Hume Christian Church, visit us online at humecc.com.